Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, episode number 18. When advanced dancers and the stronger dancers don't get anything out of the workshops that they paid for that are at their level, they won't come back. They will leave because they no longer have anything to challenge them and to grow. Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast. And today we are back with one of my good friends from Toronto, Mrs. Laura Riva. If you guys haven't heard it before, she was back on a previous episode. I want to say it was podcast number four. And that's actually, I want to say, the second most listened to podcast that I put out. Um, We're only on podcasts like 16, 17 right now. But the podcast that we recorded was what it means to follow like a boss. And a lot of people gave me a lot of positive feedback about that one. And just people out there in the interwebs listening to it, obviously listen to it a lot as well. Just looking at the statistics of that particular podcast. But welcome, Laura, back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Um, I think I'm going to have you on several different podcasts. The future podcast, I'm going to call it. After you write your book on dance, because I'm getting together like a group of, of committee that's all going to like sign a petition for you to write a book. And then okay. after you launch your book, we're going to have you on the show again to talk about your book and the success of the book and things like that. So I'm just going to put that out there into the universe. Well, then we'll, we'll see if that happens. <laughs> just to give our listeners a little bit of backstory. Um, Laura is an author of a blog. And when I say this woman can write, OMG, this woman can write. She will like take a concept and just expound upon it in such an elegant and thought out way. It's just freaking amazing to like read your blogs. And I'm going to keep saying it from the mountaintop over and over again until you write your book. But I've been kind of uh, encouraging Mrs. Laura Reba to write a dance book, but she's really, really busy. But I'm not giving up that easily. You're making me blush on this. <laughs> okay, so we'll go ahead and get started with today's podcast. Um, today's podcast is going to be workshop and dance class best practices. And I will have to give Laura Riva some more credit um, because this podcast topic was actually inspired by yet another one of her beautifully written blogs um, about workshop dance class practices and do's and don'ts, kind of, if you will. Um, we're both instructors. She's a Zook instructor. I am a Kizoma instructor, but of course, we both have a passion for like teaching dance. And so I just wanted to take her thoughts and kind of add my thoughts to it and make it better and just put it out there for the podcast as well, because I think this information needs to be out there for 
listeners who take dance classes, which is not just limited to Zouk or Kizomba. What sparked you to write that particular blog, Laura? Um, you know, I don't think there was actually like a particular reason that I wrote that blog. I think it was just something that happened to pop into my head. Most of my blogs aren't like I've been thinking about this concept. I either see something random online or it just is floating around in my head. And so I start writing it down. So I really have no idea. Mm, I got you. No problem. No problem. So um, we're going to go ahead and get started with the list here. We have nine best practices for you guys, for you guys to take lots of workshops and dance classes. And we're just going to put this out there for creating value in the dancing, give you guys some base ways to enhance your learning opportunities and just make it a better learning environment for everybody in that particular class and or workshop. And I'm going to go ahead and let Miss Laura Riva start it off with the first one because I feel like I've been talking too much already. <laughs> so best dance practice number one would be retaking dance classes to learn more. So that mostly has to do with like a more progressive class since obviously when you go to a Congress environment and whatnot, you're not going to be getting the same workshops even if you go to another Congress. Uh, so it's mostly about the progressive classes. Yes, classes that you would take on a weekly or maybe more than one time during a week or something like that. Um, but some of the points that you brought up in your blog were just um, advanced basics, giving the instructor to give you further input as he sees your basics improving. And one thing I would like to say to our listeners is like, no matter the dance, if you take a basics class and you're able to understand and it's relatively easy for you, there's still so much to uncover with your basics. I will personally admit in my last, I want to say in the last four months or so, I've been feeling that my body movement has been improving and that my basics have been improving. And mind you, I've been dancing Kizomba for four years. I've been teaching it full time for two years and I dance a lot of Kizomba. But I mean, just going to different classes and hearing the way that an instructor breaks something down or feeling the way that they dance, it just kind of opens up a new door that you didn't even knew existed, even though it's still easy. It's not difficult, but you still feel improvement. And that just really helps your dance even grow so much more. Just because something is easy doesn't mean that there isn't room for improvement. I think, honestly, my kind of perspective is if it's easy, you're not doing it right. Mm. Um, so that's, that's usually what I see in the students is that when I have students and they're like, oh, this is easy, I've got this. Usually my response is you're not doing enough. You're not fully exploring the movement that you have. It's very easy, especially with basics to get by, but it's very hard to do them to like a very high standard of dance. And I think it was a few weeks ago um, in uh, the advanced semi-private class that I run, we mm -hmm. literally spent about an hour and a half drilling the basic Zook step over and over and over again. And everyone was sweating profusely wow. within the first 15 minutes because of how much they were doing to try to break up old habits and refine the feeling and the flow and the weight transfer. There's so much in a basic that like your first pass through, you get almost none of it. You get mm -hmm. a rough framework. It's like you've put up a few slats on the house. You haven't put up drywall. You haven't done anything else. You've just got a frame standing there. 
And then every time you go back, it's like you add another layer to the house until finally you finally put the paint on the house at the last stage. Um, and so many people forget that and they think, oh, well, I've done it once. I don't need it again. Definitely, definitely. Um, the fundamentals in the basin are definitely like deep running rivers that you just kind of keep uh, improving and evolving. And I really like what you just said, breaking old habits and refining the good ones. Because sometimes we, we start off our dance and we, we kind of start off with like, you said, if it's just like a simple frame, we could have a lot of old habits or habits that aren't super detrimental. Um, they're not red flags, but they're still not the best path or the most efficient way to like move your, use your energy or anything like that. So I really like that statement for sure. That should like be a quote. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly like the way that we've structured it with our classes is that we have unlimited free retakes of the lower levels so that people go back and people do take advantage of that. But I wish more students would do it without having a teacher who's necessarily pushing them to go back to the basics. Mm. I think teachers can do more to encourage people to that and make them see how much value there is. Definitely. And well, this be, this podcast would be one of those means to encourage our listeners. Um, another subtopic under this particular one was being able to refine the skill of compensation um, of your leading and your following. And this has been something that you've wrote um, in your blogs a couple of times that I've read previously. And some people get it and some people don't get it right off the back. So could you touch a little bit on your thoughts on just compensation? So compensation is essentially the act of making sure that you're holding more than 50% of the weight of the dance. So for example, in the case that you have a professional dancing with a novice dancer, the professional is likely going to be holding 80% of the responsibility for the dance. Of course, the novice dancer feels like it was amazing and how they are suddenly mastering the dance because mm -hmm. what they're responsible for is no longer in their control. In the perfect world, of course, it's a 50-50. It's usually not like that on the social floor. And the place that people run into trouble is they download the responsibility to keep up with them to their partner rather than recognizing that if they have mastery over their skills and their body, they can make it work even with an imperfect partner and even if the partner is having trouble with very basic concepts in the movement. Definitely. There's, this reminds me of a student that I had in my workshops in Kansas City not too long ago. Um, she was getting frustrated because she was getting stepped on. And she's like, I just need a good leader to lead me through the step of what I'm supposed to do so I don't have to think about it. But, I mean, there's, there's, it's, it takes two. It's 50-50, you know. So if you're getting stepped on, then it's like, well, half of that responsibility is yours. And lo and behold, she wasn't taking big enough steps. And so she, wasn't get, she was getting stepped on. And, but it was just interesting to see that mindset from, like, a person who's less experienced, who didn't want to take the responsibility, you know, um, versus having that 50-50 concept. And another thing that also comes to mind is sometimes if you have that social dance experience where it was amazing and I did 80 percent of the compensation, they only had to do 20. So it was easy for them. They didn't have to think about anything, but I had to work more than the 50 percent. And some people will take that and say, oh, well, that must mean I'm a good follower or a good leader, you know? Yeah, and I think it's also just really important to emphasize that this isn't a fo follow or a leader problem. It's an everybody problem mm -hmm. um, because I've heard uh, looking at uh, the follows right now, 
Um, I've heard a lot of followers be like, oh, well, you know, if something goes wrong in the dance, it's the leader's fault. Mm-hmm. And he he's supposed to move me because he's the leader. And no, ladies, that's not how it works. It works because you give in 50% of the dance mm-hmm. or more if he's struggling. That's just how it works. And I've heard the reverse where you have a lead who's like, well, the reason that I can't do any of these cool things I learned in that Congress is because the girls in my scene. (laughs) And I'm like, well, no, they're not terrible. They have less experience than you. But if you were really leading it all that well, there's a lot of those movements that would be working out in your favor right now. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they're not with a majority of follows tells me that the problem isn't them, it's your inability to lead it on someone who doesn't have a proficient enough level to completely take care of himself. Definitely. Last topic on this one, and we'll move on to best practices. Number two will be just building awareness and mental capacity. So I feel like as you start to do the basics more and more, like you were saying before, you start engaging more of your mind, more of your body, feeling what's really going on, feeling the ground under your feet. Really feeling the energy in the frame of your partner and things like that, it builds that awareness so you're able to encompass more and use that awareness slash energy to your advantage. And really that propels you into more advanced uh, or intermediate moves. But I feel like as you go over the basics over and over and over, it does kind of train that mental muscle of memory. I'm sorry, not memory, but mental capacity to kind of really embody these moves. I, yeah, and I feel like a part of that, the idea that's related to this is the concept that when you redo material, you always add a little bit more knowledge and a little bit more capacity. So the first time that you do the class, you might get 30% of the movement. That's mm-hmm. your capacity. You have no more room in your brain when you're trying to learn it for the first time to get anything else your brain's at max Mm -hmm. and until that is like filed and stored away into muscle memory you don't have further capacity to learn more and to actually build on the step that's why with a lot of beginner dancers you see you can have either timing or dancing you can't have both at the same time they're either for example leading the movement or they're on time but when they try to put the two together, mm-hmm. it takes some time because when they're thinking of either of those two things, mm-hmm. they're running at 100% capacity. Definitely, definitely. We are just 10 minutes in the podcast and I'm already loving the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so awesome to have and hear you break down your, your mind. I'm going to be, um, there is a feedback link on the show notes page. Ladies and gentlemen, if you like Laura Riva and you think she should write a book, leave a comment, fill out the form, and I'm going to start the petition. I'm going to keep putting it out there. All right, right, Laura? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So best practice number two is to remember that you are not the teacher. Um, This one brings back so many stories from different people in different cities that um, I've taught in who definitely want to, I guess, help the people, but at the same time, they can do it in a condescending way that's not most of the time well received. The funny thing is, I I have a little bit of like a nuance here because for me personally, I'm a big fan of giving feedback to your partner in a class, mm-hmm. but I'm not a fan of 
people telling their partner what to do or taking an authoritarian position where they're saying, I know what I'm doing. I know how to do it right. Because those are two very different things. So the ego and the authority comes from, once again, this idea of I'm not doing anything wrong. There's nothing I can do to improve. You're the one who needs to improve, which is putting yourself in almost a pseudo teacher position because you're not actually approaching the class to learn. Mm-hmm. You're approaching the class as I've already got this. Let's see you pick up the slack. And then what that usually translates into is you phrases where you need to do this. You need to step here. This is what you have to do. And anytime that a you phrase comes out in feedback and it's not a teacher saying the you phrase, you're overstepping the boundary. It's one to say, like, I think we should try this, or why don't we attempt doing this instead? But when you direct it as, at them as if you know what you're talking about, you're setting yourself up to be a teacher. And I've seen more people embarrassed because they told something to their partner that was completely wrong, and then the teacher comes over and says, that's not what you do, than anything else. So it's very good to just keep the mouth shut or <laughs> a different way to say it. So listening to you talk just now, I almost felt like I was listening to relationship advice, but not dancing advice. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure there's some parallels between both of those. But um, definitely the the mindset of of learning versus the mindset of, of listening just to give feedback, you know, like, oh, it's a lot better to to keep the mouth closed or to ask a question to the instructor to make sure that everything is going on versus just coming from the oh the know-it-all position and you need to do this you need to do that and I think the way that you said oh I think that or I'm feeling this or maybe I can I could use some pressure there now it's like more of a, a collaborative teamwork kind of thing versus you're wrong I'm right get on my level and get your act together kind of thing you know Mm-hmm. And sometimes that happens unconsciously. I've seen sometimes like people just sometimes blurt things out without thinking it all the way through. So it's not like we're saying the person is a mean person, but sometimes the way that you show up in dance definitely has parallels with the way you show up um, off the dance floor as well. And sometimes that's that's something that the people have to work out, you know? Absolutely. And even with that, like it may very well be that the person who's giving the advice actually knows what they're talking about. For example, they may be a local teacher in their scene. They may be a very well-known teacher, but they're in someone else's class to like expand their knowledge. Mm-hmm. But even if you're 100% sure that you know the thing, don't be the authority in someone else's class. Give feedback, but we'll talk about that in a minute, but give feedback, don't take the authority. And a lot of the times it also comes from frustration, like mm-hmm. just get through this thing and then you get frustrated. And when you get frustrated, you say things that you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And that's when you just need to breathe. Exactly. I mean, it's being outside of your comfort zone sometimes gets certain emotions to arise, you know, and how you handle those things really shows a lot to how you are as a person and your character, you know. And it's okay to, like, struggle with things. It's okay for things to frustrate you. It's okay for things to uh, bother you and things like that. But you still have to think about, okay, this, I'm I'm not, it's not all about me. I have to also think about the other person as well and everybody else in the classroom. And I have to do what's best for the group and not just my needs in that particular instance, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And that brings us to our best practices numero tres, which is working with your partner. Um, go ahead and talk a little bit about that with our listeners, Laura. Okay, well, this is getting into what I was talking about with uh, feedback. So basically the idea is that cooperative learning is the most effective way for two people to learn. And I see that sometimes, like I've, I've seen people who come to a workshop with a designated partner so that they have the freedom to do this because not everyone is open to working with a partner in a workshop. Mm-hmm. Some people are staying in their own little bubbles and they just want to listen to the teacher and they don't want to actually engage with the person they're dancing with because it's about them. Yeah, so the concept of working with your partner is opening up your world to include that person and exchanging feedback between the two of you and working in a way that makes sense for both of you. So for example, saying like, we should try this or what if we do this, make it a we situation. And the second part of that is pay attention to how the people want to learn. So there's there's some couples where they really like to watch the teacher. Mm-hmm. And they really like to be watching the teacher. Other people don't feel the need to watch the teacher. They want to move through movements with their partner and figure out things on their own time while listening in the background. Mm-hmm. The problem comes, and uh, it can happen both ways, but it's predominantly a lead with a follow because of the leadership role um, where they're like, you don't need to watch the teacher and they start using their partner as a dummy essentially Mm. to do things too. And the follow is trying to watch, they're trying to learn, they're trying to engage with their part of the material but they don't have that chance. So it's really important that you keep those lines of communication open so that both parties get what they need from the workshop and then can come together and work on a concept. Yeah, the the thing about dance classes and the thing about workshops, especially when it's a group of people, like the each individual student has to realize that it's not just about them. You know, they have to realize that there are multiple people in the room that have multiple ways of learning, multiple learning styles. And some people do need to see the teacher. Some people do need to try it out. And they're more kinetic. Some people need to hear what's going on. Some people it clicks when the music is going on. There's a lot of different. Uh, combinations of things that can unlock to do um, what it is that's going on in the in the class at that particular time. But I think if everybody realized realized that and respect that, it's like, oh, she's a visual person. Okay, let me give her her time so she can watch the teacher and see what's going on, and then we can try together. Or if that person's not a visual person, they're more kinetic. Then you're just more accepting to that. You know, um, I just did a podcast with uh, Stephanie. Uh, she's also in Toronto. I'm not sure if you guys talk or not, but um, um, we did two podcasts on thinkers versus feelers um, in the dance scene and how people kind of end up on a spectrum on on either side. You know, it's a, like a percentage, like 70, 30, 80, 20. And they have one side that's dominant, but just being aware of where they may happen to fall. So that way they're able to really enhance their learning ability and their learning experiences uh, to fit them the best way while still being aware of everybody else's. Are you talking about Stephanie Gurnett? Yes. Yeah, she uh, she used, she's one of the first people who started the Zook scene up here, actually. And she and my current partner, Darius, actually worked together for some time in the beginning. Nice, nice, nice. I just yeah. had her as a guest on my podcast. We have really good dance conversations, too. So I was like, it's- you need to be on my podcast. And so that was our first topic. Um, I have her coming up in a couple of podcasts as well, but um, really good stuff. I, I need to be back into Toronto. 
I haven't been there for like two years, but now I'm thinking I need to go there and visit. You should. You should. Um, so getting back to uh, to what we were talking about there. Yes, working with your partner. Yes. Um, I think really it just comes down to respecting and paying attention to the partner. Like that's for sure. And uh, it should be common sense. Mm-hmm. It's not should be. Yes. I mean, uncommon sense, <laughs> uncommon, common sense. Yes. Exactly. Um, but I think you just hit the nail on the head. And when it's like, make it a we situation versus a you situation, like pointing the finger kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. Best practice. Numero cuatro. Um, remembering that your partners aren't perfect is what you put in your blog. And I wanted to put, and neither are you. So not only are you being patient with other people, but you also want people to be patient with you because you can also get frustrated. Your partner can get frustrated. But if everybody's there to kind of support each other, then it kind of makes it okay. You can kind of make that learning experience um, the best experience possible. And just having acceptance that we are human, we are learning things, we are outside of our comfort zone, we are prone to getting frustrated, we are prone to getting discouraged or things like that, like people's emotions are going to show up in different ways um, due to that being outside of their comfort zone. But just being relaxed and patient with one another, I think will go a really long way. I really like that. I like that. Uh, and neither are you. I think that's important to remember. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sad I didn't think of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's definitely the the perfection thing and this pursuit of perfection in dance can be very discouraging for people. And I think that there's, in particular, I think we underutilize one very powerful tool for lifting each other up, and that's the compliment. I see a lot of people who spend time and they do things and they'll talk to everybody else about how awesome certain dancers are or what they like about certain dancers, but they never actually say it to the person that they enjoy. And they never actually are specific. If they do say something, it's, I just like the way you dance rather than saying, I love the way your frame is. I love the way you do this. I like the way you do that. And when you're in a workshop, and especially if you see that you have a partner who's getting frustrated or something like that, see if there's something that you can compliment on them. Even if it's, I love the attitude that you have towards this workshop. Like anything that you tell them at that point that's a positive is going to better your relationship with the person and make it a more effective learning environment. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of a quote that I saw on Facebook that it says, when you see beauty in someone, speak it. And I feel that that really rings true or that's kind of like an undertone to what we're kind of saying here. If you notice something that's positive, like don't hold it back. Let that person know. Share that experience. Um, Negative things tend to travel so much faster and be communicated and shared on Facebook so much quicker than positive messages. You know, like if I put if I were to go to Facebook right now and this is like kind of like a social experiment on social media. But if I were to go on Facebook and like did a did a rant and say, oh, I'm so frustrated and blah, 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 this and blah, blah, that. I'm pretty sure like that will like get people also in that energy. They'll feel that energy and they'll they'll probably be quicker to either comment or like or say, no, I, I got you. Or like, I don't know if I feel negative news tends to travel faster. But if I put a positive message out there, then it's like people don't like it or share it as much or 
or when you see videos and things like that. So I always try to like share that positivity. This is one of the major reasons for the podcast and a lot of the posts that I do on on Facebook and things like that is just to put more positivity out there. Um, there's another quote out there that says, the, um, be an encourager. We have enough critics already out there in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And one of the things um, that I wanted to talk about on this particular topic is if you do have more experience than the person that you are dancing with, remember where you started from. Don't forget that you were a beginner X number of years ago and you are going through it. So if you're there, help people um, help that person get through it and be the person you wish that you would have had when you were starting as a beginner to get your level up there. So that way you get more people dancing at a higher level in your dancing. And that'll just make your dancing thrive so much more than to, I mean, the more dances you have at a higher level, the more uh, fun you'll be able to have at a, at a social and, and dancing at your level and things like that. So it's all about kind of helping one another out. Absolutely. I think that's a really good place to uh, segue into the next thing that we are talking about on the best practices list. Numero cinco. Numero cinco, leveling yourself appropriately. I don't know why I'm blurting out Spanish, but I guess I, I guess I need a Spanish conversation. This is kind of off topic, but I'm fluent in Spanish, but I don't feel like I've had a really good in-depth, like, intellectual conversation in Spanish. So if you're listening to the podcast and you speak Spanish and you like intellectual conversations, let me know. Okay, back to the podcast. <laughs> I'm afraid I cannot help you with that. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, <laughs> so we talk a lot about compensation and respecting your partner, lifting each other up. But the problem is that there is a certain point where you can't compensate anymore. If you have taken three classes in a dance style and you decide to take an intermediate or advanced class at a congress, dun, dun, you are dun. in the wrong level. If you have been taking a couple weekly classes, but you don't really practice intensively and in like you're comfortable social dancing, but you're not particularly strong, you are not an advanced dancer. Mm-hmm. Somehow people magically seem to forget this when they go to congresses because they see a name of a teacher that they want to learn with and they go there. If you're desperate for that teacher, pay for a private, mm-hmm. get their attention. But if you are not at that level, the material is not going to do you any good and you're going to frustrate the heck out of your partners. Um, First of all, if you take a workshop that's at or even below your level, you're more likely to learn more than pushing yourself to the level up. Because at the level up, at best, you're going to be barely able to get through the pattern. Mm -hmm. If you take a workshop at your level or lower, you're not only going to get through the pattern, you're very likely to be able to actually execute it and use it in your dancing. Yeah. So first thing I'm going to do is do a shameless plug for you and your blog once again, because you wrote a blog that was like, dear one year dancer who thinks they're advanced or something like that. I'll put it in the show notes. Beautifully written blog. You need to write a book. End of plug. So, (laughs) um, the dancers who want to jump into the more advanced classes is is really interesting because sometimes I'll go to a congress and let's say I'm teaching four or six classes over the course of the weekend and I have the fundamental classes and I work my way up. Yeah. So 
I have classes, oh, introduction to the basics. If I use the word fundamentals or basics in the title of my workshop, I feel like I lose attendance. But if I put master, advanced, fancy, tricks, cool moves, and things like that, people will show up out the woodworks to come and take the class. But if we talk about what they're actually able to accomplish and what they're actually able to lead and what they're actually able to take to their dancing and use effectively in the social dancing that night after or that same day is, is very few. So it's, it's interesting. Um, and as an instructor, it's definitely something that you're that you don't just sweep under the rug because you want people to come into the class. You want people to definitely level themselves appropriately. But at the same time, if you feel like you use the word basics or fundamentals in your class and it, it gets people to turn off your class, then it's almost like you have to find the magical combination of words to get people to come out and you have to trick them. Oh, we're going to go over fancy moves. Psych. Here's here's your basics, you know, and I'm pretty sure <laughs> you can relate to that, too, as well, Laura. Well, we like the re- we run a Congress up here in Toronto for Zook and mm-hmm. We have an audition system because it was just, it was so bad. I was going to events and like at this point in my dancing, I consider myself an advanced dancer. Mm-hmm. I better if I'm teaching, but I was going to advanced workshops packed with like 150 people mm-hmm. and 120 of them were intermediate or lower level. Yeah. Now I understand that they wanted to take the class with the big name because big names tend to do that to people and they get a little crazy about it. But the issue is that this class, which was supposed to be advanced concepts, ended up teaching people how to do a basic turn. Because people could not, when they were instructed, do a lateral into a basic turn, people were like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what to do. And how on earth can you then move on to advanced concepts when the majority of your class cannot even do the precursor to that movement. Mm-hmm. At that point, you might as well have gone to the beginner class and let the advanced people have something they can work with. It's not shameful to be beginner or intermediate. It's awesome if you take classes below your skill level. Those are things that mark you as a serious dancer who is there to learn and who is there to accomplish material. When you're just looking for the next big thing, what it shows is that you want to feel good. You, you want you want to be like, I took the advanced classes. It's about feeding the the need that we have to be considered like strong dancers. Mm-hmm, the ego. But in actuality, you're going to be more learning more and be a more effective dancer if you go and you clean up the things that you need to clean before you go to that higher level. No one would ever consider going to university and on day one be like, well, I took AP chemistry in high school, so I'm going to take this fourth year course. The university will look at you and they'll be like, are you, what are you, are you kidding? It doesn't mean that first years are somehow less. Mm-hmm. It just means you haven't got there yet. Take the time to get there. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting in, in the dancing and how people are so hungry to to level up quickly and they want the quick fix, the quick class and they they want to take and and I guess invest over a long period of time and I read this one book not too long ago um called The Practicing Mind. It was talking about developing discipline and focus to just practice and and 
embrace the process more so than the end goal of being advanced or a master, if you will, and things like that. But one quote that really stood out to me was art is infinite. So, I mean, no matter how good you get, there's always more to learn, to improve. Um, it's this never anything. So whether you in, embark upon any arts, not just dance is really a beautiful thing, you know, but realize that you have to enjoy the journey and not just the goal. Now, talking about the dance classes and people taking advanced classes because they want to be with a big name and things like that. It's it's, it's I feel like it's a, a big problem and it's that audition system is really intriguing. I have to talk about it with you. Um, to see how that works because it, it's really hard when you have a, a congress of three, five hundred people and you have to like get them to all level up because I'm pretty sure like if you take salsa for instance, salsa, beginner salsa in New York and beginner salsa in, I don't know, Salt Lake City, Utah is probably going to be two different kinds of salsa, you know, um, or the intermediate level is going to be different. So you have that kind of thing as well. Um, I'm not sure if Zook has a more of a standard learning uh, skill set. Um, I know West Coast Swing they do, um, and I know sometimes in tango they're pretty well disciplined as far as like really embracing the basics and understanding that it's going to be a long-term thing versus a short-term thing. But even from the organizer side, I just got through my first festival, and that was one of the complaints. It's like, okay, this is an advanced class, and the guys can't even do a basic saida. How am I supposed to get my what I came for from this class, if we're just going to go into like basic Saidas in the class, you either have to, I feel from an instructor standpoint, you have to bulldoze the people, you know, and you like drown over half the class just to like go through the pattern or being a good instructor, you have to kind of, okay, I'm going to throw out my plan A plan and I'm going to pull out plan B and we're going to go through the basics to kind of cater to the people that you have in the class. It's, it's really interesting. Um, one experiment that I wanted to try was like, okay, let's say I got a really big name to teach a beginner's class. And at the same time, you had a local instructor teach a master class. And I wonder what the people will do. Will they still go to a beginner's class with a big name? Or would they go to the more local name or national name teaching a master class? I wonder what their choice would be. But it's just interesting because it's just seeing what the people are going to react and how they kind of view themselves. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely very interesting. And I want to just momentarily go back to what you were talking about with the person who attended your Congress, who said like, how am I supposed to get anything out of the workshops? Mm -hmm. If you feel like you want to be selfish and take workshops above your level, okay, fine. But recognize you're stabbing yourself in your own foot Mm -hmm. because when advanced dancers and the stronger dancers don't get anything out of the workshops that they paid for that are at their level, they won't come back. They will leave because they no longer have anything to challenge them and to grow. People don't stick around if they have no reason to grow and to learn. So you end up with this top tier of dancers, many of whom leave, many of whom get sick of congresses and just don't go anymore. Mm. And they stagnate because there's nowhere else for them to grow. All of the opportunities that they have to grow are being bogged down by people who don't have the experience. So if for no other reason than a purely selfish reason, think of it this way. If more good dancers take the workshops at their level, you're going to have more advanced dancers to dance with when you go to the party. Mm-hmm. Hashtag mic drop. 
<laughs> that was a really good point. I think that I'm going to use that for the entry to the podcast after I give it the number. That was really good. Let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Have you been looking to level up your Kizomba, but you don't have the local instructors to take you there? Are you looking for something concrete to practice with your Kizomba partner? Or are you looking for Kizomba lessons that you can take on your schedule and the comfort of your home? If you answered yes to any of these questions, look no further. LearnToKids.com is what you need. Progressive, step-by-step lessons that you can take at your pace in the comfort of your home or anywhere with a solid internet connection on your PC, Mac, or any smartphone. New videos are added every month. You can try this awesome resource out 30 days free at LearnToKids.com slash podcast. After the 30 days free, it's only a low $15 per month. But again, the special offer for the Dance Your Heart On Fire listeners, 30 days free at LearnToKids.com slash podcast. You won't find this offer anywhere else. LearnToKids.com slash podcast. And now back to our show. All right. So best practice number or number six now. Remember, Remember that it's not a private lesson. Yeah. I think the points you were making in the blog was just when you have that one person that's really trying to hog all of the attention of the instructor and ask so many questions about so many different things. Um, and I think in that particular case, like if you have that many questions and you really value the input of that particular instructor in class, not that the instructor is trying to keep you from asking questions, um, but definitely it might be more beneficial for you to take a private lesson so you get that one-on-one feedback for a complete hour or however many hours you want to do with that particular instructor. And I think it just goes into the previous points that we're talking about. You have to realize that the class is for the group and not just for you particularly. Even though you are a member of that group, you still have to be considerate of everybody in that class or workshop. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple main categories that people who do this kind of fall into. One is the person who shows up half an hour late for the group class. (laughs) Yeah. And then asks the teacher, oh, how do we get into that? If you miss the class, go figure it out on your own. Don't slow down the class because you decided to sleep in. Preach. Like, just be quiet. Um, (laughs) The other one. I, honestly, I don't mind people who ask a lot of questions if the questions are related to the movement. Mm, that makes sense. So how do I shift my hand here? That kind of thing. That's a valid question that can be answered in a short amount of time. But if you, for example, are doing a combination class and then you get to a certain point in the move, this is not the point where you stick up your hand and say, what if I want to do this option or this option or this option? Or what about this other concept that's tangentially related to this mm. wrong time, wrong place? You want to have that conversation? Go pay money and get a private class mm-hmm. because what you're asking for is private attention. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, I think that's more of a straightforward topic for sure. But if you really like the instruction or you want the individual instruction, Definitely take the private lesson. Um, I have a podcast coming up with Rachel Cassandra. I'm not sure if you met her, but she's in the in the Kizoma scene, in the blue scene, and she writes a lot of blogs and, and things like that. Um, but we're going to talk about the benefits of taking private lessons and things like that. So definitely be on the lookout for that upcoming podcast. And we'll go ahead and move on to best practices numero siete which is use practice time to actually practice. And I just want to say, if you have an instructor that is experienced slash seasoned enough to actually give practice time in the class, and it's not just 
listening or going through the move, but it actually gives you time to practice on your own, definitely take advantage of that because that's definitely that's essentially what you're going to be doing in the social dance floor. You're taking that move and you're going to be playing around with it and breaking it down and things like that, trying it out with different leads and or follows. But if he gives you that time in the class, it's on purpose for you to practice. So take advantage of that. Yeah. Like I honestly, I see so many people and I give them time to practice because quite honestly, I just, I, I think that any teacher worth their salt needs to give their students time to practice the material within a class where they can go around and see what's going wrong, wrong on a large scale to fix it. Mm-hmm. It's partially for the teacher. If you're not practicing the movement to the best of your ability, the teacher isn't going to be able to address what's wrong with your dancing. So, that time is not only for you to practice with your partner and to nail down the skills, it's also for the teacher to take a look at the room and to assess what is going on with the dancers and to fix things that you may not be thinking about. So when I see people who do it three times and they're like, yeah, I got it, I'm bored, Mm. that tells me that this person is wasting their potential to master this move. Most classes are only an hour. If you get 10 minutes of practice time within there, it's not very much. Run through it, do it, drill it, drill it, drill it over and over again. See if you can slow it down. See if you can speed it up. Like do whatever you can, but spend that time practicing. And like the the story that I really remember is that I had one student in my weekly classes. And when he started classes, he told me, I want to be the best dancer in Toronto in five months. And obviously, like, not realistic, but I'm not going to, like, crush his dream. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, then you're going to have to practice really, really hard. But every time he came to class, he would do the move two times and then stand there. And he would blame his partner if anything went wrong when I asked to see it. And I ended up, he, he left dance after I had this conversation with him. But I ended up having to say to him in class, you're not going to reach your goal like this. You're wasting your time. You have me here. I'm a resource. I'm watching to see if you're doing this right. And you're wasting your time here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely recall several people who definitely don't take advantage of the practice time and then also are quick to blame their partner when something doesn't work right. For sure. That that's, It tends to be not everybody that does it, but there's definitely people that have that tendency and it's, it's just use the time to your advantage. If you're going to be the best dancer in your scene, then you need to be taking advantage of every resource that you have to get you to that point. And then practice time like you have to practice. You have to get put in that time. And repetition is very key to get those moves down. And we talked about the repetition. So you start to embody the moves and, and build that awareness and that mental capacity so you can create more space in your mind. So that way you can. Um, reach out and kind of encapsulate the next level of that technique that you're trying to move, which brings you closer to mastering that particular move or step, you know? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Best practice numero ocho, assume that you know nothing. Um, A lot of the good dancers that I've had the pleasure of speaking with say, They'll say different ways, like stay hungry or always stay a beginner and things like that. And I think this kind of ties into that as well. You definitely want to come into a class or a workshop um, ready to learn. Um, wipe your slate clean. Um, I remember taking a class 
a few years ago with Afro Latin Connection. And one of the tips that they gave is like there's different ways to do different things. There's multiple right ways to do a particular move that you'll learn from different instructors in the class of that particular instructor. Respect the instructor. Learn his way. After the class is only an hour. After the class, then you can dissect it, take what you like, discard what you don't like or anything like that. But for the purpose of that class and for that one hour, at least have the courtesy and the respect to listen to what the instructor is is putting forth and giving out um, to help the class and, and teach the class. Absolutely. And I think um, some viewers may kind of resonate this when, with this idea. But when, when I was a newer dancer and I was going into workshops, I struggled with this as well. And part of it was I didn't want to look bad in front of the other people in the class. And it's kind of like that almost too cool for school feeling Mm. where you're like, I'm going to show everyone how awesome I am. But the fact is that no one's actually paying attention to you. And if you can, when you feel that, that sense of like, I'm going to prove how well I do this. So you turn, when you do that, you, you turn off your ability to absorb new material. And if you ever feel yourself and you go into a workshop and they start with like a lateral and a basic turn or in Kizombo, or something Mm -hmm. like that if you're going into that and you're like I'm super confident because I got this and like "Mm -hmm, everyone's going to look at me and I'm going to look awesome you've already lost the battle because you're looking at what to make yourself look good rather than looking at how you can fix things Mm -hmm. even if it's a Sayedo or in Zuka Lateral or anything else look at exactly what the teacher is doing and figure out exactly what you're not doing that the teacher is doing mm-hmm. and how small if you are stuck on what to look for try to figure out how fast they transfer their weight try to figure out where they use or don't use their hips if they use their hips where does the hip go on that particular movement what's the pattern of movement what kind of styling do they use mm-hmm. like all of these things you can figure out and apply to your dancing if you already have a foundation you can't do that if you're learning it for the first time. For the sure. first time you're just trying to survive. So assume you know nothing, go in it and figure out exactly what it is you're not doing. Definitely, definitely. And I just want to say in regards to that, there's a big difference of, of looking good and feeling good, you know? And it's one thing to do the steps and like, okay, it looks like your feet are moving in the right place and your arms are feeling good and things like that. But when you really like master a move or have a really strong grasp of a move you not only look good but you also feel really really good as well you know and you can't get that experience unless you're out there um dancing with people actually trying the move actually repeating the move over and over and then you have to embody the move it's not just surviving the move it's not just understanding it it's uh, in like really embodying it and really mastering it to the point where you can use it as a like if it's a, a foundational move, you can use it to where you start to create your own dance and you're able to use that foundation to connect other moves into that move. And it just really helps give you a really strong base from that particular point, you know? Yeah. And the other thing on the point of connection that I want to mention, not every workshop is going to improve your connection because if the teacher is teaching, for example, pattern class and they don't touch on what the connection should be like, you have no way to learn the connection. Some people are more natural at kind of responding to their partners and like feeling where things should be and 
doing that kind of focused work. But if you're someone where that doesn't come naturally to you, seek out connection-based workshops and progressive classes that focus on connection because it is a learned skill. And it's a learned skill that can be transferred through a teacher who really knows how to explain it. But you're not going to get that just from doing patterns. And I'm especially looking at leads on this one because they're usually the larger offenders. You can only get connection by working on connection. Yes, and that's a whole another podcast topic in itself, um, embodying connection and connecting with yourself, awareness of yourself, connecting with your partner, awareness of the energy of your partner, connection with the music and the energy of the, the music. There's so many, there's so much to entail behind that podcast. We won't be able to go into all that detail, but we'll probably have um, Laura on the podcast as well. And I'm pretty sure we can talk to different instructors and give their insights on their experiences with connection, all with the same goal, but just maybe some different pathways to get into that, but good material for sure. And this brings us to our last uh, best practices, which is not included on Laura's blog, but after reading her blogs and then also um, with my experience, there's one last thing that I would like to see everybody do um, who are investing their time and money in dance classes and workshops, and that is revisiting the material after class. Now, how you do that is definitely up to you, but one of the things that really brought out this particular best practice reason is because I have this forum um, on Facebook for, for Kizomba. And on each day, I'll ask a different question about a different aspect of dance or Kizomba or history and things like that. But on this particular day, I asked the question, how many of you watched the videos after your workshop or private lessons? And the majority, I want to say I had maybe 25, 30 people comments on that particular picture of that particular day. And I want to say 95% of them said that they don't go back and revisit that video to see what it is. And that really struck me because like as an instructor, especially as a full-time instructor, like you're really trying to put your best foot forward and really putting in your lesson plans and like you're putting out golden nuggets for them because you really want them to see them. Like you have a passion for teaching, you know, so you put that information out there, you put it on video and you're hoping that these people will be able to take that and, and progress with it. But then to hear that they're not Revisiting the material is kind of interesting if they don't have a habit of practicing or maybe they just need to find out the, the learning style that fits best with them. And I'll allow Laura to talk about different strategies that she's seen um, in her experience about revisiting that material. But I think it's very, very, very imperative to go back and practice those moves outside of dance class and really kind of add that extra layer to your dance experience, your dance learning experience. Yeah, and like we, we were talking about this before uh, before we were doing the podcast mm-hmm. tonight, but um, there's, there's so many methods. There's people who take notes. There's people who watch the videos. There's people who have a practice partner and they set aside time after the workshop to go and work. There's also people who simply think about it and they visualize it in their head and how it works and where everything needs to work. Whatever the tactic is that you use, it's vital to retaining the material afterwards. It's the same reason if you know anyone who's a um, big time performer in dance, almost all of them before they go on stage, even if they know the choreography super well, they run through the entire thing in their heads, always. 
It's, it's one of the number one ways to make sure you don't screw up. So when you go to a workshop, if you're someone who videos are an effective tool for learning, take the video and use it. Get a, a software that slows it down for you. I think even YouTube allows that mm -hmm. at this point. Um, There's actually a YouTube resource that allows you to take a certain time section of the video and loop it so you don't have to keep going back and forth. I'll put that in the show notes. I think it's called the YouTube repeater or something like that. I'll find the link. I'll add it to the show notes. But it's definitely something if you have a YouTube video and you need to just loop a certain section of the video and then you just repeat it after that point. Nice. Um, I've also met a lot of students who do notes and like they take meticulous notes and they literally, they bring their notes back to every class and they refer to their notes over and over again. These people are usually the most successful students that I see. And then I have others and I have one, one student who works regularly with me and he was just telling me the other night, like, he's like, I get some of these moves now cause I can see it in my head. And like I can visualize exactly what I need to do. And so now when this person gets new variations on a movement, they don't struggle understanding where the movement goes because they already understand it. And it comes down to this concept of understanding. It's the difference between regurgitation and understanding. The more Ooh, you spend, I like that. Yeah. The more time you spend with a concept and the more you actively think about it, the less regurgitating it'll be. I think we need to add that word to the dictionary. Regurgitating. <laughs> yeah, you can tell uh, I have such an advanced vocabulary. I can now make up words, right? Yes, I mean, I'm guilty of this. Like in my classes, I will just, I mean, you, you just want to get the point across. So you're not even worried about being grammatically correct. We are breaking the rules of grammar for the sake of your learning ability, guys out there. Yes, my, my English teacher would be crying in their group. <laughs> Yes. Um, so just closing thoughts on, on revisiting the material. Um, if you have an instructor that you really, really like and you're going to their classes and you're going to their workshops and you know that that person is putting in time and effort in the lesson plan and you really want to improve your dance, we appreciate you coming out to class. We appreciate you coming out and investing in the workshops. I mean, this is how I make the primary source of my income is through classes and workshops and private lessons. So we definitely appreciate you guys. So, but outside of the, of the financial um, benefit, we want to like the, we want return on investment on what we're passionate about, which is dance. And we're teaching because we really want to see you guys to grow and grow as dancers, grow as people, and going back and revisiting the material that we've prepared for you, I feel is really, really awesome. And this is why we're doing the podcast. We want you to figure out what type of learner are you? What method works best for you? What will get your brain to understand and, and visualize and unlock these levels that we know that you're capable of to really enhance your dance? And this is what we're trying to inspire you and encourage you to do with these podcasts. Um, to really get you to think about your dance outside of the dance class and really continue dance. We don't want you to go out and get frustrated and then get discouraged and then you start, stop coming to classes. You know, we want to find those things to, for you get to see those little moments of improvement and progress and motivate you to keep coming out to those classes regardless of the dance that you're passionate about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can second that as a teacher. Like, I can't think of a single dance teacher in the world where it's all about the money, even though the money is what we need to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. But the number one goal of anyone who's really a teacher is to watch students grow. 
And so none of these best practices are said with the idea of discouraging someone from going to workshops or chastising someone for doing something wrong. The idea is to help people further their own education and to provide a good learning environment for the people around them. And they go hand in hand. If you're in the right level with the right teacher, with the right attitude, you will grow more and everyone around you will grow with will grow more. The advanced dancers will grow more, the beginners, the intermediate, everyone will benefit. When we start thinking about only ourselves and what we think we want rather than what we need, that's when the system falls apart. Thank you. Thank you so much, Laura, for taking time out of your day to do another podcast with me. I really enjoy all your blogs. I enjoy our chats. I enjoy doing these podcasts with you. I enjoy hearing you speak your passion coming straight from the heart. Um, I know your love for teaching. Even we haven't, and just for the record, if the people listen to the podcast, Laura Riva and I, we have not met in person. And this is our second podcast, but we're going to meet one day and it's going to be awesome. But um, I really appreciate all that you do to add value, not just to the Zook scene, but to the dance scene in general. And I appreciate you and what you're doing. And, and I, I've told you this off the, off, the, off the line, off the record, behind the record, something like that. But I'll say it on the podcast as well. Um, keep doing what you're doing. I really hope for you to one day write a book once your schedule gets a little bit more manageable, but I think it'll definitely be an awesome gift to the dance world. And on that note, I'll allow you to add any closing remarks and let people know how to find out more about you and your blog. Well, I think if I ever write a book, I'm going to have to call it uh, Charles or do you? Um, I don't think I have any other option anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, the, the blog is at grapevine.dzook, sorry, dzook.grapevine.com. Wait, did I have that right? I think it's grapevine. Grapevine.dzook.com. We'll have there a link go. for you in the show notes, people. Just click on the yes. link. Never, never listen to the things that come out of my mouth when it comes to website addresses because they're always messed up. Um, I think we're actually going to be moving it to a fabulous new site for hosting soon, which is called danceplace.com. Mm. Basically like an online directory of everything you could possibly want dance-wise. It's going under a little bit of an overhaul right now, but uh, keep your eyes peeled for that because it will be awesome. We will. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so and much. Yeah, this has been a pleasure. I hope you listeners enjoyed the podcast. So many value bombs, so many golden nuggets. I hope you guys are feeling inspired to take another dance class or another workshop. And hopefully we'll see you out there on the dance floor. Bye-bye. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey. Innovations music.